What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Today, we are joined with a special guest, Christian. He has done a whole bunch of diving into the topic we're going over today. That is the Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields debate. We're going to get his side of things. I think he has some very interesting takes. We're also going to talk about the Super Bowl. Obviously, you guys know what I want to happen in that. But first, let's introduce the guest. Christian, how's it going? How you doing? Going pretty well, man. Thanks for having me. Um, I was just on another podcast this week, and uh, I I love doing guest spots, man. I was telling them it, it's it's so much fun to just uh, not have to run the show and just be asked the questions, uh, especially after being like the the first voice that you hear on our podcast. So yeah. I love being here. Thanks for inviting me, man. Yeah, man. I'm glad to have you on. And just like you love guessing, I love having guests because. When you're, because uh, what I usually do is if I don't have a guest, it's just me. And when it's just me, it's very hard to find a breather. And my voice sometimes is like <laughs> so swollen after when I'm done. Um, so it's always nice to, you know, have somebody to bounce ideas off of too and be able to search stuff up on the fly, all that good stuff. So I appreciate you coming on. And is there anything you wanted to plug before we got started? The podcast, website, anything? Um, I guess first thing, uh, go check out the website, thecutffb.com, just simply, not for my work, but simply for the contributors that we have right now. They're, they're pumping out some great articles. Um, it, it's, we have basically an article a day coming out there. And then if you want to follow us at the cut FFB, you can follow me on Twitter at FFBaldman if you so choose, but <laughs> follow the podcast Twitter first. All right, all right. Sounds good. So we're going to start talking about the uh, Super Bowl. We'll start off with that. Bucks Chiefs. So I put out a poll. I don't know if you saw it. 75% of people think the Chiefs will win. It's more like 60-40 and who they want to win. But 75% of people think the Chiefs are going to win. Do you side with the majority? You know, so I mentioned the website. We do a, a like weekly pick-em article. We're doing like a staff competition. Um and I am tied with another another one of our staff in the lead right now, but I am struggling this week, man. I <laughs> I was looking at some uh, like DVOA metrics because really, like when it comes down to the Super Bowl, you throw basically everything out the window. But it's interesting to see, like I think it was if you th- if you take away the first like four weeks or something like that, the Bucks are top ten in both offensive and defensive DVOA, and the Chiefs are not um, in defensive DVOA, so uh, I am. I think it's as much a coin flip as any Super Bowl that I can remember, if I'm being honest. So yeah, I love it. I, I think so. I think it's like that too. And I actually, uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Do you think this Chiefs team in this Super Bowl is better or worse than last year's Chiefs team? Or the uh, same? Worse. You think it's worse? Yeah. So I think their defense has been playing a lot better this year, but they did the same thing. If you remember last year in the playoffs, and I think they were more dominant in last year's playoffs. Of course they added Snead this year and and that's been a big help in their secondary, but I, you know, I think the Browns should have beat them. 
uh, whether or not that's because Patrick Mahomes got hurt or not, I think the Browns very well could have been the ones uh, in the AFC Championship game against the Bills, and then who knows what happens. So when you factor that in, you have to consider that the Chiefs are worse this year than they were last. Yeah, and so then my my hope lies in that because I agree with you. I think that they are not as good as last year. And last year, they almost lost to the 49ers. And to me, the biggest difference between this Bucks team and that 49ers team is the Bucks have a legit offense. They have a very good offense, and they have a good defense to complement it. So I'm just hoping the Bucks defense can cause one, two turnovers. And I also have to question motivation because, you know, you could play both sides of the coin. You could play experience or motivation here. Obviously, the Chiefs are not going to be as nervous as probably most of the Bucks guys, especially the young ones. But having not been in the playoffs at all and now getting to the playoffs getting all the way to the Super Bowl I have to think that or maybe it's just my optimism as a Bucks fan that these Bucks players are going to be way more motivated and just play with a little bit more of an edge in this game hopefully nerves don't come to come into play but what are your thoughts on any of those type of factors well I think nerves will come into play at some point but not for the person uh with, with most importance in, yeah, in Tom Brady. Brady. So yeah. uh, I think he's been to enough of these where he's not going to be nervous. But I also think that Patrick Mahomes coming off, you know, a, a Super Bowl run last year, he won't really have too many nerves either. I think they'll both have a, a few maybe fluttery throws or questionable decisions there in the first, like, two or three drives. But after that, it's going to be ball game. And I, I think I think the Bucks can keep up, man. I You mentioned their defense. I think their defense is – is very very underrated. I know is uh, Vita Vea back this week? Yes, he is. Yeah, he came back versus the Packers actually, and they used him exactly the opposite in which I expected because he's such a good run stuffer. I thought he was going to be playing on obvious rundowns, you know, third and one goal line situations, stuff like that. They actually deployed him on passing downs, which was genius because he is the reason. I am completely like in line with this thinking. He is the reason that our pass rush gets home, gets to the quarterback. Because when Vea was not there, Shaq Barrett and JPP were were good. They both were like in that 8-10 sack range, I think, for the season, if I'm remembering correctly. But um, once Vea was back, all those plays versus the Packers, when he was in there, it was way easier for Barrett and JPP to get pressure because Vea collapses the pocket from the inside and the quarterback can't step up and avoid the rush. And he kind of just has to eat it. So I'm hoping that that's the X factor because we also didn't have him versus the Chiefs. And Carlton Davis got killed versus the Chiefs. Hopefully the defense and Bulls has found a way to, you know, put him in a better situation because his one weakness is speed. So there's a lot going on with this game. Uh, I think we definitely have a shot. Is there anything that you, you want to bring up before we move on into your specialty with the quarterbacks? Uh, no, man. I'll, I'll just say I am excited for a good Super Bowl matchup. I think I think last year was okay, I, but we haven't really seen a really good like down to the wire Super Bowl in quite a while, and at least that I can think of. So, yeah. um, I, I'm I'm just super excited for a really good game this yeah. weekend. I hope That's it is. Sure. I hope it's a good game too. I think the last one that we could probably say that everybody would agree on that was really good was probably Patriots Seahawks mm-hmm. because it was yep. close the whole time. Actually, Patriots Eagles was pretty pretty good too. But outside of those two, I think it's probably been like not as exciting. So hopefully that's how this one is. And hopefully the uh, Bucks home crowd can actually be a thing and we can have some home field advantage. That would be sick. Um, That'd be awesome. Yeah, first time ever. But with that said, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, the battle for quarterback one. You want to uh, 
you can basically go ahead and say where you stand right off the bat, but then we'll break them down individually. Yeah, um, if you guys do follow me on Twitter, you'll notice the first thing, well, not the first thing in my bio, but I have it in my bio because I've kind of become known for it, I guess, which is kind of weird to me, but I have Justin Fields as my quarterback one in this class, uh, ahead of Trevor Lawrence. They're kind of in the same tier for me, but it's pretty damn close to uh, uh, Justin Fields being in a tier above, so um, yeah. So we can break them down however you'd like, but that is where I stand. Um, And I actually, shameless plug here, I'm working on a a standalone Justin Fields article. So uh, that should be coming out soon. I'll I'll tell you every single reason why, but you get the (laughs) preview today. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And I'll I'll include your Twitter handle in the episode title so everyone can go ahead and find you on Twitter. So... Cool. Let's start. Well, we'll just start with everyone else's QB one, I guess. And for me, just so the listeners know, and so you know, I'm pretty much on the fence here. Like, if I had to pick as of right now, I, I might lean. Like, if I'm drafting for fantasy or something, I might lean Lawrence. But we'll talk about why later. But honestly, I'm on the fence, and you might flip me right now. So we'll see what happens. But Trevor Lawrence, six six, two twenty, twenty one years old. He will be twenty one when the season starts. His best season has been, in my opinion, the 2019 season, 3,665 yards, 36 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, 563 rushing yards, 9 touchdowns, all in 15 games. My NFL comparison for him is Deshaun Watson. It's always hard for me to find an NFL comparison. You can never find like one exactly, and I'm not trying to say I think this person is going to be as good as Deshaun Watson or anything like that, but I feel like he's a similar type of player. You know, they were both, neither of them were, like, great in passing. Like, they weren't perfect passers. They weren't pocket passers by any means. They have legs. They have a live arm that could just use some refinement, stuff like that. So that was why I liked the comparison with Watson, especially because of the legs. I didn't even think of the Clemson thing until, like, after I wrote it down. So I like Watson, and we'll go ahead and start with uh, some good things. What are some good things that you've seen with Lawrence and, and things that you really like? Yeah, man. Um well, you, you alluded to it. The The arm is as live as they come. Um, I think if you're just judging, the thing is, is like this this class is loaded. The, I would say the top four guys I love all them. have inc- incredible arm talent, some of them in different ways. Like you mentioned that Trevor Lawrence has some legs. I think that's something that people overlook with his game. He, I mean, he is more of a threat to run in my opinion than Justin Fields right now, just because of the nature of the offense that he runs or ran at Clemson. Um, he's got some juice, man. He outran in the game against Ohio state. He set the edge against he, well, he outran the set edge that Baron Browning, uh, showed him. And so you're looking at that and you're thinking, man, like Baron Browning is a, a five-star, uh, recruit. He's going to be a fairly highly drafted player. My, one of my hot takes is that Baron Browning is a first-round player. So you're telling me that Trevor Lawrence is outrunning first or second-round linebackers? That's pretty absurd. Um, and when you think about the nature of what he'll be doing in Jacksonville, that has to get you super excited. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence is a, a pretty good decision-maker. I think he does have some lapses in judgment. Um, sometimes he doesn't see the field perfectly but normally he's making the right decision he'll pull the ball down when when he needs to um and he will like if he's ticked through a couple of his reads he'll pull the ball down and he'll scramble and like i said he has that ability um the the arm strength i 
you know, I think it's kind of unmatched. I think you can argue that Justin Fields and Trey Lance and Zach Wilson all are close, but no one has the zip that Trevor Lawrence has. His throwing motion, he's got a little bit of a wrist flick, but it, it's a little long. He's It's not Zach Wilson wrist flicky by any mm-hmm. means, um, but of the, the rest of the prospects and Trey Lance and Justin Fields, I think, Trevor Lawrence probably has the quicker release out of those guys. So, uh, And then I think just his way to maneuver pockets and just feel when a rush is coming is definitely unmatched in this class. Like He, he knows when he's about to get pressured, and he, like I said, he typically makes the right decision when that happens. So, Yeah, I, I agree. Some, some of the bullet points I have for what I consider props, things that prop him up as a prospect, other people just like to say like pros and cons, so for some props for me for Lawrence, some of the things he talked about already, his intangibles with his sides, speed. I also believe he's pretty smart, which is obviously probably the most important thing for a quarterback. You were talking about his decision-making. Leadership, arm strength, runability, escapability you were just talking about. I do see a lot of really good flashes in accuracy. Obviously, he's not consistent enough. He needs to clean that up. But being able to see how accurate he can be at times is very promising. And then... The first thing I ever noticed when I was watching Trevor Lawrence, the first time I ever saw him, I wasn't even really a big college football guy. I really never am during the season. I really do most of my stuff once the college football season is over, you know, around this time. But obviously I watch the playoffs and all that stuff. And the first time I ever saw him was in his true rookie year, which is also insane, the fact that he was starting as a a true freshman. And he was standing in the pocket just letting the ball fly accurately and taking huge hits immediately when the ball left his hand. And that was something that I was like, wow, who is this kid? Like, I didn't even know who he was. Me and my dad actually coined a term for him. We always call him Locks because he, you know, he has that, like, hair. And so he's yeah. like, oh, you know, is Locks coming into the NFL? I was like, yeah, actually, he's insane right now and everything. But, yeah, that was the first thing I noticed and what really caught my eye, and I've been watching him since that day. And he shows the ability to down – uh, to look downfield while he scrambles outside the pocket. He's not consistent with that yet either, but it's good to see that that's there. He's got a good throw on the run, has the ability to create plays, which I think is so important in today's NFL. And he performs well on crucial downs. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that, but it seems like, you know, third and long when they need a touchdown, like the most important times, it seems like he comes up clutch. And then some people like to point this out. I'm curious if you weigh this heavily, but a lot of people like to point out his resume. Two career losses. One to Joe, and that's going back to high school. One to Joe Burrow, one to Justin Fields, because the one regular season game that Clemson lost, he wasn't playing. So, do you think resume is that something that when you evaluate quarterbacks, you care about at all? Like, even if it's just a little bit, or not really? Uh, I think you can weigh it a little bit. Um, now, I am a very vocal supporter of quarterbacks not being one hundred percent responsible for wins. <clears throat> I don't think. I don't think that Trevor Lawrence won all of those games. I think, actually, there are a few games that Clemson won despite Trevor Lawrence's performance. Now, the the inverse is true as well, where Trevor Lawrence carried them to some wins. But overall, like the two wins thing, um, or two losses thing, I mean, I, I don't think that you can put a ton of weight on it just because of the fact that that Clemson offense, we saw it with... Uh, DJ, God, I hate saying his last name. Ayugalele, I oh, think yeah, is yeah. how you say. It. Yeah, it's, it's such a tough name. I'll I'll get it by the time he's draft eligible. But um, <laughs> when when he came in, he was, I mean, he he looked good, and I know he's a top prospect as well. 
but he, I mean, he barely missed a beat in that Clemson offense just because of the scheme that they run. Now, I've been pretty vocal about what Trevor Lawrence ran in college. Um, interestingly enough, and, and I mentioned the Jaguars because I, I do think, and I know we'll probably touch on this, I do think Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one overall pick. I think uh, Urban Meyer is going to see him, and we look at what Urban Meyer did uh, with his quarterbacks when he was at Ohio State and Florida, and Trevor Lawrence fits it almost to a T. So um, I think, you know, that Clemson college-style offense is going to be similar to what we see from him in the NFL, and that's that's a good thing for, for Trevor Lawrence. So, But, no, I, I don't put a ton of stock into the resume, I guess, um, especially when you've got such a legendary team like Clemson always is. Yeah, I I actually agree with you. I was trying I was kind of being misleading on purpose. I don't look at the resume at all. I actually it's something that somewhat worries me, not to a huge degree, but like when you're comparing, you know, the best of the best and you have to take everything into consideration. It does kind of worry me like when you're a prospect in Trevor Lawrence who his entire life has done nothing but win. Like you don't experience losing. You haven't experienced losing. And I don't know if you ever played sports in high school, but experiencing losing as an athlete is a completely different ball game on your mental state on especially if you're pulling back-to-back losses or in a losing streak which he very well could see in Jacksonville if he goes there or anywhere he goes so it is one thing that I think kind of just I'm always someone to be hesitant into fully buying into somebody and saying like somebody is a guaranteed hit because those don't really exist and that's probably the thing I think worries me the most now, don't get me wrong, uh, especially everyone listening, like I'm not worried about Trevor Lawrence, but if there was one thing that went wrong and I had to guess what it would be, it would be that they he started losing a whole bunch of games and something changed. Maybe his decision-making, he felt like he had to do more than he should and take starts taking risks and builds bad habits in that way or something like that. But that's always something that, that I kind of look, look forward or look for in a prospect. So let's talk about some, some things that you think he needs to work on or some knocks on Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, this is the one that, you know, people call me a Trevor Lawrence hater because I like (laughs) to kind of question what, what people are seeing sometimes. Um, now the main knock that I have on Trevor Lawrence, and it's not the worst thing in the world. He reads half the field. And if you watch a Clemson game, you wouldn't know it. Um, which is interesting. Some people have questioned, you know, my ability to point out reads, but what the Clemson offense does is they build in lookoffs. So essentially like they'll do a lot of fake screen action. They'll do a lot of fake like shuffle pass option. And Trevor Lawrence will always have his first read downfield always, but he'll look him off and then people think that he's doing this on his own and he's reading the field. You can tell, though, when you watch it over and over and over that it's just part of the scheme. So then you look at kind of what they do in actual plays that they're running downfield, and then you start to see that Trevor Lawrence looks mostly to his left. I will say, like, he which is interesting because in 2019, what you say is his best year, which I also agree with you, he was looking primarily to his right, but in both years, he struggled to like fully scan the field. And then when he does that, he's not resetting his feet. Um, so when he does have to move on to the, the other half of the field, um, and it's something I'll talk about with, with Justin Fields a bit, but 
Trevor Lawrence, because he trusts his arm, because he has this insane zip on the ball, he doesn't have to reset his feet at the college level because most of his receivers are running either wide open or with a fair amount of separation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of, and, and this is kind of a bad comparison, so I, I hesitate to even say it, but it's kind of like what Tua saw. So the scheme was so important to Tua's success at Alabama, and I think that Tua will probably be a good NFL quarterback eventually as well. But that's kind of what you see with Lawrence, but people have kind of downplayed that and call him, like, I think the the main thing that gets me called a, a Trevor Lawrence hater is I don't think he's a generational talent. Um, I think, you know, when, so I actually watched some Andrew Luck film to see if I was crazy uh, and see if, you know, this is the best quarterback since Andrew Luck. And, you know, I think, while he's one of the best quarterbacks since Andrew Luck, I don't think he's really close to what Andrew Luck was as a prospect. You look at Trevor Lawrence, 100% shotgun, 100% scheme dependent. Now, I I made the mistake with Justin Herbert last year, and I, I put a lot of weight onto that. I'm not putting a ton of weight onto that. What I do put weight on is that, that half-read ability, so you're, half-field you're read ability. Put, you're saying put weight on the, the scheme dependent part? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so so I, I think it's worth it to mention the scheme dependency because I do think that there's there's reasons that teams scheme that way. One of the reasons could be because it's just unstoppable and it works with Trevor Lawrence in that offense. It really helped Travis Etienne as well, um, and it really helped the receivers in Justin Ross when he was healthy, T. Higgins, um, and then also Amari Rogers this last year. But the other reason that they could run an offense like that is because of the things that you see when he is looking downfield, which is that, like I said, it's, he, he struggles to get through his progressions. Now, it goes back to kind of his escapability and his pocket awareness. Like, you'll see him hit a, a free-running wide receiver after a play is broken down. Um, I don't think that... If he rolls outside of the pocket, though, I don't think his off-platform throws are very good. Um, I think his throwing motion makes it very difficult for him to just flick the ball downfield. Now, he might, while he's contained in the pocket, he might be working within there and be able to kind of bounce to the outside of the pocket a little bit and still flick one up because, like I said, his arm's crazy. But when you force him completely out of the pocket and he's throwing on the run, he loses a significant amount of accuracy. And that's actually something that I should mention too. I, I kind of hinted at it. His, I mean, he misses some, some really easy throws because his footwork isn't as sound. Um, because he tries to rely on just, just that shoulder and that, that arm strength, he'll sail some throws. He leaves a lot of deep throws too long, which mm-hmm. it's better to leave them long than it is short. Sure. Um, so, But it is still worth noting that his accuracy takes a hit when he's off platform and he's going to have to be more off platform at the next level. So it's definitely just something to keep an eye on. Yeah. I, I don't think he's a perfect prospect. I think that's the main hang up for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with that. I don't think anybody's a perfect prospect and hopefully those things are something that, you know, those knocks that we were just talking about are things that he can have coached up and just not have to worry about anymore. Some of the things that I had for Knox were it doesn't seem even if you're like just watching highlights, it doesn't even look like he hits guys in strides that consistently. And no. sometimes the ball will get on the receiver's shoulder instead of like being out in front of them. So basically, you know, just a 
more specific way to say he doesn't hit guys in stride. And then, like you said, he's not asked to do too much reading of the field. So that's what I had for Knox. Not not too much because he is a very good prospect. And then we have yeah. your number one, Justin Fields, 6'3", 227. So he's not quite the physical specimen, but he still has a nice build. He will, he will be 22 years old in March. His best season, I also believe, was 2019. 3,273 yards, 41 touchdowns, 3 interceptions. So it's a better ratio than Lawrence with probably worse weapons. 484 rushing yards, 10 rushing touchdowns in 14 games. So it was also in less games, which is interesting. And my NFL comparison, I don't know how you feel about this, um, but my NFL comparison for Justin Fields is Dak Prescott. I was trying to find somebody who is accurate, who can throw well in the pocket, who has legs but doesn't feel like he needs to use them as much as maybe a Trevor Lawrence would. So that's why I landed on Dak Prescott. I feel like that was the most comparable person in the league right now that I could think of. But if you have somebody you, you like to compare before we get into like props and knocks, you go for it. Yeah, I, I actually like the Dak Prescott um, comparison a lot. I do have a different one, and I think I think this is more a ceiling comparison. So I don't try to put like just one-to-one comps on players because I struggle with it very, very badly. Yeah. Um, like my my ceiling for Trevor Lawrence is John Elway. Uh, I think John Elway had that big arm. My ceiling for Justin Fields is Russell Wilson. Um, so I think he's a bigger version, a little more physical of a runner. But I think the the accuracy is the number one thing there. And then also, it's kind of funny. It, it's a comp based on a weakness of Justin Fields's, which is. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it here in a second, but obviously he holds the ball too long. Everyone knows that. Uh, Russell Wilson actually does the same thing. He still does it to this day. We see it all the time in the Seahawks offense. So mm-hmm. that's my my ceiling. Pretty pretty good ceilings comps for both yeah, of them, I would say. For sure, for sure. I, I kind of I like that approach, taking like a ceiling approach. It also like can get you out of the annoying comments from people that are like, "Oh, so you think." That this guy's gonna yes. be the next, like, yeah. So that's that's smart. I like that. So we'll talk yeah. about some props for Justin Fields. Some of the things I have, obviously, he has intangibles just like Lawrence with the size, speed, rushing ability, all that stuff. He has good arm strength too. Lawrence a little bit more. He has run ability, escape ability, off-platform throws. Pretty good at them. He can create plays as well, which is, I mean, that's something I really love to see in a quarterback is being able to create plays when things are not there. That's kind of the problem. We're not going to talk too much about this guy, but that's kind of the problem I have like with guys like a Mac Jones because I feel like he's just kind of you know, working in a system where so many other college quarterbacks would look amazing because everyone's always open, and as long as you can go through some reads with <laughs> like four first-round picks in your offense with you. you know, So that's yeah. kind of something I, I always like to find in prospects. Then he's got great deep ball accuracy, kind of like Russell Wilson, or maybe exactly like Russell Wilson, as you're saying accurate in general and i also like that he faced a lot of tough defenses in the big 10 you know had a harder schedule and still put up a better turnover ratio than trevor lawrence so go ahead take it away with your guy yeah uh the main thing and and i alluded to it already that accuracy is not something that you can teach the dude makes contested accurate throws and that's the most important thing like i think like mac jones yeah his deep accuracy is awesome um not a lot of mac jones's throws downfield were contested and the ones that were 
were poorly thrown balls that Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle bailed him out on. Let me ask um, you a quick question. When you say contested, are you talking about contested in the view of the receiver, like he has a defender near him, or contested as in there's a defensive lineman in the face of the quarterback? Yeah, so in terms of the, the corners that are covering the okay. receivers, so uh, just good coverage downfield, um, you'll see Justin Fields. I mean, some of the throws he makes, and I know it's to Chris Olave, who's going to be a first-round talent, um, but Chris Olave doesn't always create a ton of separation. Same with Garrett Wilson. Um, so they, like, some of the just sideline throws, sometimes Justin Fields will throw the ball across the field to the opposite sideline on a freaking rope and that rope ends up being literally on the numbers or exactly where the ball needs to be and you don't see that a ton in trevor lawrence's film especially when throwing the ball 20 yards or more downfield and that deep throw ability is something that i look for in a quarterback prospect because like i said i missed on justin herbert last year um because a lot of what he was throwing was underneath and it was tough to see how he would actually react throwing the ball downfield um and when he did like there were times that justin herbert was really really good downfield and there were times that he was awful i think you can say the same thing about most prospects in this draft except justin fields i don't think you know he's made a couple of bad throws in the last two years but you can count him on two hands and i think that's the main thing he makes good decisions and i know like like i i said earlier he he holds the ball too long but how much of that is his coach telling him take care of the ball don't risk it uh because he just has a, a slow trigger what happens when he has a coach that says let it fly dude and justin fields is making all these throws downfield constantly um and then i guess i should mention some other things other than his accuracy uh so the touch that he puts on the ball is is virtually unmatched. I think I think Lawrence puts a good amount of touch on his uh, throws as well. In terms of progressions, uh, so this is something that I have no idea what people are watching when it comes to Justin Fields. Personally, uh, I think he ticks through his progressions very very well when he's asked to and when he gets off of his first read. He looks at his first read a little too long. And again, I think it's probably because he trusts Chris Olave. When the two main receivers were out for the Northwestern game, um, you could tell Justin Fields had a lot less trust in the receivers that were out there. And so I think that trust that he built with Chris Olave really had him staring at him a lot more. Same that like Drew Brees does with Michael Thomas when they're both in there. It's yeah, kind of similar to that. I like that. That's a good point. Um. But then when you see him, when he has to progress through his reads, he resets his feet every time he scans. So he's he's going from the left side normally uh, to the middle, and he jumps with his, his footwork. It's not something you see with any of these other quarterbacks here at the top of the class. And then he'll go to his third read, and he'll jump again. And that's when he normally either pulls the ball down and gets 20 yards on the ground with his feet because he's fast, or he hits somewhat of a check down um someone in the flats though he, he really never throws to his running backs so not good for your, your <laughs> running back wherever he's drafted there you go remember that it's a good good uh tidbit right there <laughs> so some of the knocks that i had for him oh and also i, I wanted to uh, touch on something i just didn't want to interrupt you you're in a nice flow justin herbert yeah he's somebody that everyone missed on like if we're being honest like they're like the people that watch like two minutes of highlights and like oh this guy's gonna be 
the best quarterback in the league, but they don't really actually mean that. That's just somebody talking, you know, excited yeah. for a prospect. But everyone missed on Herbert. And something that I'm trying to learn from that situation is that when you have somebody who throws or shows the ability to make throws and to pull off great plays and they're doing it in a bad situation or in a situation that there's not first-round receivers, there's not first-round O-linemen, there's not all of those things, and they're able to do and show you glimpses of greatness, then I feel like that's something that we should kind of hold a little bit higher because, of course, it's going to be great to see guys doing all these amazing things in great situations, but it's a lot easier when you're throwing to, like, Tua, who had four first-round wide receivers last year when he was in Alabama. So I think that's something uh, interesting. Do Do you kind of agree with that? Is that something maybe that you think is something good to look at? Yeah, absolutely. And I, like I said, I learned a lot from, from missing on Herbert. And obviously, I think some of the concern that people had with Herbert uh, was justified and, and is sure. still there in his game. He still throws some erratic balls. Like, I've seen him miss by 20 yards in the NFL. That's how the Bucks be- won. That's how the Bucks beat him. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, he's going to grow with time the same way Josh Allen did. The weird thing, dude, and... I don't normally like brag about where I had Josh Allen, but he was my QB two that year over a lot of guys. And, was Baker year um, one? He wasn't oh, actually. Wow. Darnold was. Oh, okay. So Baker was my one, and I think Darnold was my two. Nice. Yeah. See, I missed on Baker, but I was also very, very early in my quarterback scouting process that year. Like that was probably my third year, and I still didn't know what I was watching. Um, but. Yeah, so I, I really hit on Josh Allen's tools and then just shoved Justin Herbert's aside. Very odd. Um, but definitely something to learn from, especially in what to look for in some of these prospects. I do think like you can prop up Trey Lance and Zach Wilson a little bit for yeah. that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. So uh, I'm glad to hear your thoughts on that. That's good that we're kind of on the same page. And then let's circle back around to the Knox for... Justin Fields, you kind of already talked about one of my only three, I believe, that I have, which was holding the first read too long, but you gave a really good explanation. I really like that. I didn't think about that at all with him just trusting Olave and looking at Olave a little bit longer. Also, I had here that he doesn't check down much, so sometimes it could possibly lead to a harder second down or third down. And then he had some bad games to start 2020 before picking up. Some people can point to that. And what is your what were like? what did you notice in those games? Yeah, so the main thing, um, so his worst game, in my opinion, was the Northwestern game. Uh, that one's, t- man, it's so tough to evaluate the all of these guys this year specifically because it was such a tough season. You look at the Northwestern game being his worst game. That was when he was down three of his top four receivers. He was down multiple offensive linemen. And he did not practice most of that week because of COVID. So not that I'm giving him excuses and he should have performed much, much better. Um, that was also one of the first good, great defenses that he saw. Northwestern had a very good defense this year and they were throwing some really complex looks at him. Overall, though, at the beginning of the year when everyone was healthy, uh, the one thing that I really wanted to see from Justin Fields was getting rid of the ball and taking through his progressions. Because I think as productive as he was last year he failed to do that just far too often he took an absurd amount of sacks and he still does take sacks and I think you're going to have that with him in the NFL as well because I think like I said he's coached to take care of the football he's not just going to sling the ball and hope um which you know some say is a knock I 
I kind of think it's both a knock and a positive. Um, but I think most of, of the problem with, with Justin Fields is that like being unwilling to hit his check down and, and move past, you know, his downfield reads. He ran a vertical offense at Ohio state and people like PFF, for example, will tweet out how long Justin Fields was in the pocket for, how long it took him to throw. Well, that's because they were running literally three guys on nine routes down the field and then one guy on an underneath and Justin Fields was sitting there waiting for the guys to get downfield <laughs> and the protection was good like I don't think they run that if they didn't have one of the best offensive lines in college football um, so I do think that he could stand to move through all of those reads a little bit quicker he, his clock needs to get better um, but man the, the tools are there and I think at the next level, he's going to be running a completely different offense. I think I think the pro style is very important that he's seen something like that. He's taken under center snaps. He's taken he's done play action boots. Like these are things that most of these quarterbacks haven't done. Um, Trey Lance has done it a little bit, but he's already seen what NFL level protection looks like um, and, and changing protections. And you see him audibling quite a bit. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see the landing spot, especially with him being rumored to be the third or fourth quarterback off the board this year. Yeah, for sure. So if we had to give, we've talked about a lot of stuff here, mainly, mainly you, <laughs> you, you know, a lot. Yeah. That's why I wanted to get you on here, but especially <laughs> with these two guys. But if you had to give a quick, like one line, like two line summary on these guys, I feel like mine would probably be Trevor Lawrence is the more physically gifted but less polished. Justin Fields is the more polished with a little bit lower of a ceiling, but both are great prospects. What would you say to summarize these guys for everyone that's listening? Yeah, I I think you summed it up pretty well there. I, I think Trevor Lawrence is very, very traits-based. I think he has a lot of refinement that needs to, to happen, which is not not the analysis you'll see uh, basically by anyone. Most people are saying they can't find a comp for him. He's the greatest of all time. Already he's better than Patrick Mahomes. Um, guys, I think it, it, tempering your expectations is, is super important for Trevor Lawrence because I think these things are going to contribute to some struggles here in his rookie year. Yeah. Now, if Urban Meyer runs that offense that I project, then maybe you won't even have to deal with it. But um, So, yeah, my, my pitch for, for Lawrence is he – he has the tools. He has every tool possible, but there is some work to do with Justin Fields. He has less tools, uh, but I actually think his ceiling is higher because of that heightened accuracy, mm. uh, because of his dual threat ability. They're both they're both very good dual threats, but Justin Fields, as a rookie, I think will struggle less because, number one, he's seen a, a pro-style offense. Number two, he has the ability to get out of the pocket and number three, he takes care of the football. So uh, I think Justin Fields has the higher ceiling, which is mainly why I have him ranked at QB1. Perfect. All right, so that's that's basically the summary on those guys. And with that said, the next thing we're going to get into is fantasy outlooks for both and who to draft, when, and where. What's up, divers? Do you enjoy a good workout like me? Do you grind in the gym trying to get built? If so, then you probably know working out is only half the battle with the other half being nutrition. Well, luckily, you can go to BuiltBar.com and get protein bars, 100% daily vitamin packs that mix into your water. I use that all the time. Tastes great. You can get 
caffeine and protein mixed into one as a pre-workout gel pack. And all of these things help you turn your hard work in the gym into visible results. I use these products myself and they are great. And I also have a promo code that helps both of us save 10% off with Deep Dive. That's Deep Dive to save 10% off at BuiltBar.com and on any of their products. And my favorite energy protein pack flavor, by the way, if you want to go that route, is the peanut butter honey. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, take a second to pause the podcast right here. That's right. Pause it right here and drop me a rating or review. And if you're feeling super generous, you can choose to support the podcast monthly through the link on the episode page or found in the website podcast section. With that being said, as you know, let's get back to the content. All right, so fantasy outlooks. What I have real quick on both these guys, I think they both 100%, no doubt in my mind, have immediate top 10 upside for fantasy football because of the legs, mainly because of the legs. Also because... If they're being drafted super high, they're probably going to be on teams, especially with Trevor Lawrence, which we all assume is going to be in Jacksonville, be on teams that have to throw the ball a lot. They're going to have a lot of volume. So even if they end up being inefficient and struggle as rookies, which you think is more likely for Lawrence, and I think I agree, than Fields, they're going to have so much pass volume and rush upside that just like Justin Herbert was a top 10 quarterback, they could be as well, even if their passing numbers aren't there because of the rushing, because Herbert was not insane in rushing. So I love them both for fantasy. How do you feel about them for fantasy? Interestingly enough, so I have Justin Fields as my QB1, Trevor Lawrence as my QB2, but in fantasy, uh, now it, it does depend on Urban Meyer's staff, I think. Um, but I think no matter where Justin Fields lands, I would rather have Trevor Lawrence Number one, he's locked in 100% as the starter day one. Gardner Minshew isn't beating him out. Jake Luton isn't beating him out. Yeah. Clearly. Gross. Um, <laughs> but number two, because we talked about like his willingness to just when the pocket breaks down, just run instead of like make some off-platform throws, that's good for fantasy. You think back to Josh Allen, even in his rookie year, he was fantasy relevant. Yes, sir. Um, and, and then as he kept progressing as a passer we saw what he can do i think trevor lawrence has that same upside uh down the road and that's why like i think i think he's probably a, a qb1 in 2021 i think fields has a chance to be and i think he's still going to be a great quarterback at the nfl level uh, i think his his fantasy output is a little capped because he does want to throw the ball more and so you're going to need a high volume of touchdowns for him to be super relevant. I think in six point passing touchdown fields is probably higher than Lawrence. Cause I think Lawrence probably gets like six to seven, at least on the ground with mm-hmm. his legs. So um, I think in six point, it might be close enough that fields would be up there for me, but I actually prefer Lawrence. Yeah, I, I agree. I do like Lawrence better for fantasy, but I will ask you this and it's probably something that you have thought about, but I I don't think people talk about it enough anymore. There was a small amount of hype about it right when Urban Urban Meyer was hired. Um, (laughs) But I I think you know where I'm going with this. Justin Fields, if Jacksonville took him, I think that's a great landing spot. They've got LaVisca Chenault for either quarterback. They've got LaVisca Chenault. They've got DJ Chark. They've got James Robinson. If you look in their division... Tennessee and Houston are four of their games. Both have really bad defenses that are not going to get better anytime soon, at least next year. So it's a great situation in Jacksonville. If Fields was drafted by Jacksonville, 
and let's just say Trevor Lawrence was a Jet, just for the sake of argument, would you then have Fields as your number one for fantasy? That's a good question, man. I th- I think I think yes, because I think what Urban Meyer would do is. I don't want to say he would ruin Justin Fields, but he would take all of the pro-style things that Justin Fields learned and just throw them in the trash and say those don't matter. Now we're going to run what I would have run with you if I stayed at Ohio State. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of RPO in Jacksonville. I think it's going to be a lot of the scheme that we saw at Clemson, and even if they drafted Justin Fields, I think that would be the case. I think that's what Urban knows, and that's how he's succeeded. So I I. I might flip, uh, especially if Trevor Lawrence was a Jet, because unless they added a ton of weapons via free agency, it'd be tough. Yeah, so that's a perfect segue into the next question, which is the Jets having Crowder, Mims, Herndon, do you think they are at least a decent landing spot for Fields if he does go there? Because I think we all kind of agree that, yes, Trevor Lawrence will be a Jacksonville Jaguar, yes, we both just established that he is our number one for fantasy, if that is the case. So now looking at the possible places Fields could go, do you think Jet, the Jets is a decent landing spot? Or, or would you wish that he just dropped and landed in a place like maybe Atlanta, Carolina? Hopefully, I, I'm praying that he doesn't land in those places because those are my division rivals. And I like Fields a lot, not as much as you, but I mean, I don't think anybody really sees the value in him as much as you do, which I really appreciate, and that's why I brought you on. But anyways, I'm starting to rant here, so go ahead. Justin Fields, we've got the Jets, we've got Atlanta. Like, What are some places that you really believe would be the best for him for fantasy and for his career? Because I think landing spot has a huge, huge determining factor on an NFL quarterback's career. Um, so I, I think the Robert Sala hire makes me like the Jets landing spot a little more if that's where he ends up. Um, I think that dude is as much a player coach as anyone that I've seen in the last few years. I think they smashed that hire. That was awesome Mm -hmm. uh, that they were able to land what I thought was the best candidate on the market. Um, Now, I think that him and Justin Fields would would do a lot of good things, but he's a player coach. He's a defensive coach. Um, How much of the focus is going to be into building the defense here in this first year? Would Justin Fields have any more weapons? I don't love the outlook with Chris Herndon as your your tight end. Um, Chris Herndon, man. Um, I do. I think Jamison Crowder would be a a decent safety net for Justin Fields. I think that's what's gotten Sam Darnold by. Um, But if I'm picking like an ideal landing spot, it'd be Carolina. Carolina. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. So I I think Carolina is so. They, if they retain Curtis Samuel too, which I don't think they will, I think Curtis Samuel is going to get paid by someone, probably Urban Meyer, um, which is kind of a hot take, I think, because it shouldn't. But um, I think if they were able to return re- retain Curtis Samuel, uh, they would have one of the best receiving cores for a young quarterback. I think Teddy Bridgewater had a lot of success there for a little while, and then he kind of it seemed like he got tired throughout the year, and he just kind of fell off. Um, but uh, yeah, that is my number one. What I hope happens to Justin Fields. I saw him mock to the, he fell all the way to the Patriots, and I think Lance Zerline's mock today. Um, hate that. Yeah, don't, think, don't want okay. that to happen. I was hoping that's what you're going to say. <laughs> I, I, you saw me grimace when you said that. Yeah, I I hate it. Um, and so I really really hope that doesn't happen, unless Bill just 
somehow works the cap and gets like Chris Godwin and you know five other receivers because they have zero. Yeah, good ones. So, <laughs> all right. So I do have one other thing I wanted to say about the Jets. Actually, is if you look in the division, Miami. Buffalo, New England. That's six of their games. And the exact opposite side of the Jacksonville, like why it's a good landing spot, those are horrible defenses to play six of your 16 games against. Because New England, they're going to have a whole bunch of guys returning that opted out from COVID. Yes, they have some free agents and whatnot, but their defense will be probably better than it was this year, and it still wasn't bad. Miami's defense is awesome on the rise, and Buffalo's defense is pretty good, and I think they can also add a few pieces this year. So that's also something to keep in mind. And Brashad Perryman is a free agent, so we don't even know if he's going to be there. I think that they should, if they can find a good way to work him into the cap, because I'm pretty sure they have some good space. I haven't dove into it too much yet. But if they could find a way to bring him back on another one year or two year or whatever the case may be, I think he'll be a good addition for them. Because he did a lot with my bucks, and I saw a lot of good flashes. So Atlanta, Detroit, Carolina, Denver, and San Fran. Those are the five other possible places that I have him going. I think there are three really good spots. That would be San Fran, but probably the least likely because of how far back they are in draft order. Carolina and Atlanta. Carolina would be my favorite, as you also said. And then Detroit, I, I man, if he went to Detroit, that would be really rough. Also, do you think he would be like locked in, guaranteed, week one starter if he went to Detroit, or do you think they'd screw around and put Goff in? Um, well, I guess my, my take on this is I... I really can't see them drafting a quarterback now. So, okay. I mean, if he, if they do draft him, I think that means that they think he's better than Goff, and that's the only way that they would draft him. So, I guess he I don't think start. he'd be locked in. I yeah, I don't think he'd be locked in, but I think he'd have a pretty good shot. But like I said, I've I've done some breakdowns on that on the Twitter. Um, the the Goff money is just they would be investing more money in the quarterback position than Patrick. Mahomes is getting so yeah. it'd be tough a tough sell for sure and then what about Denver with with their weapons they have good weapons and I like the weapons there but Denver is a team that has a really good defense and they also don't seem to pass the ball too much so I feel like especially with Fields being somebody who is a very good efficient passer I think it'd be great for the team and their offense would be very good but I don't think it would be as good for him in fantasy because I don't think he'd have to pass nearly as much I don't think he would run as much Maybe he would start checking down to Melvin Gordon, and if they bring back Philip Lindsay, maybe he would check it down to Philip Lindsay. So, what do you think about Denver as a spot? Well, I I, I kind of take it take back what I said about Carolina because I think the wide receiver core of Cortland Sutton, uh, Jerry Judy, and Noah Fant is actually probably better mm-hmm. than what Carolina offers. Uh, I think the top end of DJ Moore is probably better than anyone on that list, but yeah. Other than that, like I would take Sutton over Robbie Anderson, and I would take Judy over Robbie Anderson too. So, um, and then Noah fans just crazy, and then you have to factor in Albert O coming back next year. Um, hopefully, hopefully he's recovered by then. But yeah, I, I like that landing spot. If they were able to retain Tim Patrick too, like that would just be an ab- absurd amount of weapons for him. But like you said, I don't. I don't love any quarterback that goes to Denver, if mm-hmm. I'm being honest. like I think Drew Locke is better than what he's performed at the last couple of years simply because I just don't think whatever they're doing there is really going to be successful. Um, Jerry Judy could stand to have some, some better.
better hands as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that helped whatever quarterbacks there. But yeah, I don't I don't love the fit. I also don't hate it. Like if that's what happens, I'll be I'll be happy as Cortland Sutton. Yeah. So. I I think my number two landing spot after Carolina is San Fran because of Ayuk, Debo, Kittle, and then a complimentary run game with Kyle Shanahan's mind. That actually might be better than Carolina, but for now I think Carolina would be in the situation where he'd be throwing a lot more, so I like Carolina more. So with that said, that pretty much uh, wraps up the fantasy outlooks. If there's anything you want to add, go for it. And then I have uh, two, three super quick questions for you, and then you can get out of here. So while I said that Trevor Lawrence for 2021 is my QB1 in Superflex Leagues, I would take Justin Fields simply because I think he's going to be the better NFL quarterback. Um, If you're drafting for redraft this year, I think Trevor Lawrence is for sure the pick, and I think that Trevor Lawrence will return a ton of fantasy value, but I think with time, Justin Fields probably matches or beats that, and so... Um, it's kind of like, and I, this is in no way a player comparison, uh, Mitchell Trubisky versus Deshaun Watson. Trubisky actually got drafted higher, uh, in Superflex rookie drafts that year. Wow. Um, Really? I didn't do Superflex dynasty at that point. That's insane. That's yeah. So it was actually four spots. CJ Beathard was getting drafted over Deshaun Watson in some circles. Yeah. Wow. So. So I, I'm here to tell you, even if you are dead set on Trevor Lawrence at 101, Justin Fields should be your 102 in, in fantasy. So, and I'm taking him 101. So <laughs> that's right. that last fantasy note. Nice. So, actually, you, I think you answered all of these just now. Uh, I said if you're drafting, one of the questions was if you're drafting before the NFL draft, who do you take at 101? That's Lawrence in redraft, right? And Fields mm-hmm. in dynasty. All right, and then if, yeah, and you answered that question too. I was going to ask you about Trevor Lawrence as a Jaguar, Fields as a Jet, so we talked about that. And then the last one, kind of lead me into my next podcast for everyone. Who is your third favorite quarterback in this class for both fantasy purposes and for non-fantasy purposes? Because I think it might be different for me. Trey Lance and Trey Lance. Trey Lance for both. Okay, I definitely have Trey Lance. That's who I'm going to start my podcast off with next time when I go over the rest of the quarterbacks fantasy purposes the legs insane we'll talk about it and um Zach Wilson I feel like he's probably safer so I feel like that's why I might lean non-fantasy wise if I was like just a team that needed a quarterback in the draft I might prefer Wilson unless I really trust my coaching staff coaching staff to develop Trey Lance but with that said man I really appreciate you joining you gave so much insight so much analysis that I definitely had no idea on you're so much more knowledgeable on this college stuff especially with these quarterbacks than i am so i appreciate it very much you want to plug anything before you go no man just thank you so much for having me on like i said i love doing this and i'd i'd be happy to come on and we're always looking for guests over at the cut as well um so I guess the one plug, if you guys want to go subscribe or, or at least give us a listen, uh, just search the Cut FFB in whatever podcast app. We should be the one that pops up. It's a red football, uh, cool logo. Our my co-host sister designed it, so I uh, have to give <laughs> nice. her a shout. But uh, yeah, just go go hit a subscribe. Maybe uh, listen to a couple episodes and give us a review because 
we've we've got one episode a week right now. We're about to ramp up to two, and then some live streams as well. So a lot of stuff coming your way from us. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Especially with the review stuff. Like I try to get everyone to leave me reviews. If you guys are listening, <laughs> drop a review for me. <laughs> Absolutely, it, it helps so much. It helps us so much. You guys have no idea. All right, thank yep. you, Christian, so much. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, listening to the end. Have a good one. Hope you guys have a great Super Bowl week. If you are rooting for the Chiefs, don't tell me about it because obviously you know where I'm going. All right, guys, have a good one. Peace.